Okay, what's happening, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Zero for Hire podcast, and this is the beginning of the week. We just had Father's Day. Actually, upon recording this, it is Father's Day, and all I really want to do is just sit in the car and relax and do a podcast. Um, We were up very late last night, for those of you who didn't hear on social medias, uh, we thought that my daughter might have swallowed something or maybe had something lodged in her throat. And it turned out that it's not, but she did have like a like a, some sort of viral infection in her throat. Her, things were bothering her real bad. We got it taken care of. And um, we didn't get discharged until like 4 o'clock in the morning. And then we were back up at 8. And then I drove two hours back home and I've been awake ever since. I tried to sleep, but the kids I ain't having it, dog. They just like keep coming in and out 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 and you know we live in an rv so it's just like door slam door slam door slam every few minutes and they can't be satisfied with whatever the situation yeah like if you have a cat and you want to close the door you close the door and then the cat is just pawing at the door cat's just pawing he was like i want to be in that room cat just what what was in that room boy i wish i was in that room he's just scratching at the door meowing please let me in that room you open the door you're like what the cat comes in and he closes the door and he's pawing at the door scratching at the door he can't he wants to get out of the room he doesn't want to be in there anything it's like as soon as you sit down you get back up you let the cat out of the room you kick him out okay close the door two minutes later he's scratching at the door again it's like that so Yeah, kids are in and out, and um, I am very tired. So if I go on some dumb rants about kids um, or whatever, that's why. Today is a very special day, and a kid just rolled up on the bike. Today is a very special day because um, I'm going to begin a series of talks and the- like a theorizing series on, on some things that you may not have thought about. Maybe you have thought about it. But a lot of people, when I was originally doing the Zero Hour, I had some friends that were saying that they were hoping that I was going to talk more about my beliefs um, and things like that. And so I decided, yeah, I should really get into that and I should do some more exploring and and expanding on on my beliefs and things like that so over the weekend I really I started racking my brain about some stuff that I have in mind and one of the big issues that I have that's going on in my life is the disillusion of Christian hip-hop it is just dissolving in front of our eyes and I don't understand why and we have these multiple occurrences where you'll have a, a big name like Lecrae or Fanatic or um, Flame or Trip Lee, and there'll be like some scandal where they're just they've just lost their luster. They've fallen off. Even with like the truth and Ty Tribbett, if you know about that one, um, these are older scandals. But around the time that all of these scandals started happening, they were bringing other people in. Then you had new people coming in, like Pro. Pro came in, then he changed his name to Derek Minor. And then, like, he decided he didn't want to be a Christian rapper. He wasn't making music for Christians anymore uh, recently. And you have, like, um, a Mitch Durrell who puts a lot of racial stuff in his music. Or at least he did. I don't know if he still does. Uh, you have Ruslan who's having, like, people like Dax. And um, I don't think that Tom McDonald is ever going to go on Ruslan's show, but I think, like, those are the kinds of people that he wants to have on, and so, um, you see these people that are very spread out, so instead of, like, Christian rapper, TM, you know, trademark, whatever, they don't want to, they don't want that anymore, they don't like that, I'm not a Christian rapper, I'm a rapper who's Christian, that was a movement, or they're spread, they're, they're, they're Christians who rap, or they're just branching out into other things, and it's Jesus plus. And it's not, it's not for lack of, like, wanting to be creative. 
because I, I would understand that. And I think that was some stuff that I went through. Like, when I was on the Christian tour market, it made a lot of sense for me to have a lot of worship songs. But then when I was trying to book in festivals and bars that weren't Christian venues and events, then it was like, it's kind of weird trying to do worship music. I still want to tell people about God, but I don't want to do it this way because I don't expect them to worship. That's not for this audience. So I wanted to write music for the audience, but I didn't want to hold back talking about God. I still wanted to be able to do that, but there were also like values and virtues I wanted to talk about. Um, and so like I, if you look, if you look at my album, the creative uh, ascension, the creative power of the imagination, that's where I started going through that phase of like, I want to talk about some other things and I want to talk about some personal things. I'm not saying I don't want to talk about God because there are some songs that are overtly Christian or overtly worship or whatever, but it, that wasn't the most of the album. It was, I believe, it was coming from my perspective as a Christian. And so, like, I don't want to knock other artists for doing that. But at the same time, I don't think that this is it. This is that. When I see a lot of these other artists doing the Jesus Plus. And I call it Jesus Plus because it's like Jesus Plus Critical Race Theory. Jesus Plus Woke. Jesus Plus The, the Street Life. Jesus Plus Mental Health. Jesus plus, you know, your thing. And sometimes it's not even Jesus plus, but Jesus plus is just me being generous. So Christian hip hop is just dissolving. And it's just maybe not as ratchet hip hop, you know, in a lot of ways, not as good hip hop. And I do see that CHH, I feel like God has left that movement and might actually be blessing the CCG movement more so. I think that the CCG movement right now is is reaching more people for Christ than CHH across the board. You know, um, you got guys that are doing songs with top Christian rappers and they're not even charting on the billboards because they're just being used for a feature for a paycheck. And the the rappers that are hiring these people are just doing it because they're clout chasing. So there's um, some symbiosis of these two people are using each other, but they're not doing any, anything for the kingdom, and they're certainly not charting. So what are you doing it for, you know? Um, and that's, that's, a, that's a higher world than what I'm used to. That's an upper echelon. I've never charted or anything like that, so don't get me wrong. I've had songs on the radio and stuff like that, but I've never charted. So let's get to the topic of what I, what I want to get into, because this is all the back story the backdrop for why I'm having these things. I'm going to do a series of thought experiments. And it's based on these concepts. One of the concepts is something that we're going to talk about on the 520 Collective show. Um, and I don't know when we'll release the episode, but we're going to record part of it tomorrow. And the concept is, should Christians remix secular music? And so we were talking, looking for examples of it. And as I was looking at it, there was a lot of parody stuff. And you tend to have two types of secular remixes. You have, an, well, three types, really. You have an established artist that says, like Becca Shea, she'll say, what if this, you know, what if Ed Sheeran was a Christian? And then she'll take his song and she'll rewrite it as a praise worship song. It'll be just, you know, so it'll just be like a remix or rewrite or whatever. And then you have um, a not established artist, so somebody who's up and coming or an indie rapper or something like that, who's very serious and they're they're remixing a song, but they're also doing the same thing. They're they're remixing the song and changing the words to promote Christ and His agenda, Christ and kingdom, um, holiness, and and things like that rather than whatever the song was about originally. In a lot of ways, that's subversive sometimes. And then you have, like, youth group kids and people who know they're corny or who just don't have a lot of confidence, and they do what's called a par like a Christian parody. 
And it's usually not even that funny. It's just they want to do a remix, but they feel like kind of weird and maybe um, like ethically ambiguous about it. So they'll they'll couch it under comedy and they'll just say, I'm just being silly. It's just a joke. And it's like it doesn't really land either way. So like even with comedy, if you're not serious and you don't commit to the comedy side of it, it's not funny. You can't just be like, I'm just going to playfully remix this song and it's just silly and I'm just having fun. No, you're going to look like a dork if you do that. If you're going to be funny, be for real funny and just commit to it like Babylon B. Or just don't do it. But these like remixes where it's like, it's the dad rap version of something. That's just dumb. Stop doing that. And it's always like these like, I hate to say like youth group type upper middle class suburban kids and and fat dads and stuff and it's it's really not funny it's just not like it's just like you, you what's what's actually funny are the people who actually commit to the comedy and they just do a comedic take on something but this weird christian parody remix is not it anyways i'm, I'm kind of going off on a tangent again so those are the christian remixes that i'm aware of is that a is that okay? Is that allowed? That has yet to be discussed. So that's what we'll talk about on the Five Twenty Collective show, and um, I'll let you guys know when we release that. But also in the remix, I started thinking about the spiritual element of it because everything we do is inherently spiritual and, and inherently theological. When you really get to to brass tacks, and so I started thinking. I've heard people say, there's a spirit behind the song, blah, blah, blah. Okay, let's explore that. And that's a big part of the the thought experiment I want to do. And, and I've, I've got some theories. The spirit behind the music. Now, you're going to have to make some assumptions with me. We're going we're gonna to have some presuppositions just established early on in this theory. And you're going to have to just ride with me and, and hear me out. And then when we get to the end, go back and, and pick it apart and tell me, you know, if you think I made some mistakes, right? Take a note, make a timestamp, do something like that. Let's let's discuss it because I am doing this as a thought experiment in real time for the most part. I do have some things that I've looked up and I haven't dug too deeply. But when the the core question that I started with is their glamour magic in the music? Let me say that again. Is there glamour magic in the music? So you need two two background establishment stories to, to, to help you unpack that. The first one is, what is glamour magic? In the movie The Craft, it came out in the 1990s. It's a story about these four teenage girls that get into witchcraft... And they start using it to control the situations in their lives for, the, for, uh, favor, for their own favor. And then they take it too far and it turns into like kind of a thriller movie because that was real big in the 90s. And then it gets resolved. In terms of movie storytelling, I thought it was actually a pretty good movie. Um, I don't like witches and witchcraft, but in terms of movies, like I think it was well done. I would watch it again. In the movie, there's a scene where it's one of the it's supposed to be one of the simplest spells that the girls use, and it's called glamour, where they would put their hand over their face, and then when they wiped their hand over their face, it would as they would reveal their face on the other side of their hand, something would be different about their face. So like the first time she did it, she changed her eye color. The second time she did it, she had a, like glamorous makeup on, and it looked like she had put on a bunch of makeup when really it was just a spell. Later on in the movie, um, they use glamour magic to make them. One of the girls makes does it to make herself look like somebody else completely. So I started thinking: Is glamour music in, or is glamour magic in music? Now, why do I think that? Um, that's the that's the other thing. That's the other background story. In my experience, whenever somebody recreates a 
secular song that's popular as a Christian remix, for the most part, people say it's corny and they don't like it. And I come to it with a list of assumptions. One, they disagree with the ideology being subverted. And what I mean by that is that people tend to really hate when you knock down their gods. Um, if you write a song that's, that denounces the evils of feminism, feminists are going to say that it's not a good song. Even if it's a good song, they're just not going to be honest about it because they disagree with the ideology. They don't like seeing their God knocked down. If you take a song that's all about sex and you try to redeem it and make it into something wholesome, people who really like sex in that lustful sense are going to say, oh, that's corny. If you take a song that's violent and street gang, crime, the, the hood life, that kind of deal, and you try to redeem it for Christ, and you rewrite the lyrics to reflect Christ in a different way, in a way that's totally subversive to the original spirit of that movement, music, people are going to say, oh, that's corny. Now, the issue, and I said this a minute ago, that's not always true. It's not always corny. If you look at No Church in the Wild by Bizzle. Bizzle's a Christian rapper. He takes the beat from Jay-Z's song and he turns it against Jay-Z specifically. It's a diss track to Jay-Z. But instead of being super hood, he's talking about how Jay-Z is disrespecting Jesus and disrespecting the church and disrespecting God and how he's going to be judged for that. And let me see if I can pull up a, a, a snippet of it here. Because Jay-Z had a song called No Church in the Wild where he did all that. He disrespected the church. Church in the Wild. Okay, so Kanye West and, and Jay-Z and Frank Ocean had their No Church in the Wild where they just talked about you know, how they are... Uh, it's dumb. It's I'm not going to get into that too much because it's, you can listen to it on your own if you really don't know what the songs. You never heard it. But what I'm looking for is Bizzle. Okay. And there's probably this is YouTube, so there's probably a commercial that I need to mute here. Okay. So this is what I'm talking about. This is the beat from the Jay Z song, and Bizzle is doing it, hang on, let me do it over the speakers. Okay, so he starts going hard against Jay-Z. Um, there's a line where he says... So, Bizzle, what he's doing is he's subverting the whole attitude behind Jay-Z's song. I love it because Jay, uh, Bizzle is a good rapper. It's a quality recording. And yet, people hate it on it. But, 
the fact that this song has 574 views from 11, 574,000 views from 11 years ago says a lot. It's got a half a million views. This is one of the songs that he's known for. When Bizzle first became a Christian, he remixed a song called, um, give me a second here. Explaining. It's called some explaining. You got some explaining to do. Um, but this was, he was a very new Christian at the time. He was dropping N-bombs and he got a lot of controversy from people on the Christian side about that. Um, which is ironic because fast forward 10 years and, and CHH has no problem with saying the N-word. But that was, um, that was an issue for him. Now, when Bizzle started writing songs against Jay-Z, Jay-Z was on this thing where he was being like overtly satanic and using a lot of satanic imagery. And so this was like a, a one of those watershed wake up moments for Bizzle. And he was like, this is gothic. This ain't hood. What are you doing? Why are you showing all the satanic imagery? Imagery. And I think a lot of people agreed because it was just obvious. A lot of people weren't under that spell yet. But you take another song. Um, let me see if I can find this other one because I was showing this to my wife. I typed in Christian Remix. And let me see if I just type that in again. I typed in Christian Remix and I found a guy named Pierre. Just Pierre. Just Pierre. He remixed a song. I hadn't heard of it. He remixed a Kendrick Lamar song. It's got 167,000 views. He remixed the song Humble by Kendrick Lamar. 167,000 views six years ago. I have never heard of this rapper. I've never heard of this song. I've never heard anybody talk about it. And when you go into these songs and you look, come on, man, these ads are ridiculous. When you go into these songs and you look at the comments, it tells a story. This one has about 300. A lot of people are saying that. Um, a lot of people are, are just like, hey, this is great. You know, all God and stuff. But it's weird that like. When I share this with a lot of CHH people, this kind of stuff, they generally don't respond. And I don't know if that's the majority of CHH or just the people in my circle, in my vicinity. They don't respond to stuff like this. They're like, eh. And I'm like, I just don't understand. It's a banger, right? You go to the comments, it's overwhelmingly positive. You send it to people who should be a part of that world and they're completely disinterested. So, let's put a pin in that. And, and, and so understand that when, when the Christian remixes the song, some people are with it, but most people are just like, ah, it's corny. It, and I don't, I don't get that. So I start wondering, you know, is there glamour magic in the music? About 15, maybe longer, about 20, how old am I? Yeah, about 15 years ago, maybe a little bit longer, I worked at the nightclub. I've been working in a nightclub since I was like 19 or 20, up until about, I want to say 27 or something. I worked in the nightclub for a long time. And one of the things that I would notice is that the deeper you get into the nightclub industry, the more you would see how it worked in a way that you never would have thought to look at it before. And so before it was like people go to the club every weekend. That seems like a cool job. I like music. I like the people that go to this club. This is where all my friends are. I'll see if I can get a job here. That'd be cool. And then I can get paid. I thought I was being smart. Then I can get paid to do something I already enjoy. So I started working at the club. Um, now going to the club and working at the club are two different things. Because when you when you go to the club, you have no responsibilities. And you're just... And trust me, this is leading somewhere. This is part of it. 
When you go to the club, you have no responsibilities and all you're doing is hanging out with your friends and enjoying the atmosphere, enjoying the music, enjoying the drinks, hanging out with your friends, that kind of deal. When you work at the club, you have responsibilities and you don't get to enjoy your friends and just listen, you know, but you do get to listen to the music. You do get to socialize with people that are there, even though you're half busy, sometimes very busy. You still get to, hey, what's up, man? I hadn't seen you and your friends. Oh, that's your new girl. Okay, it's nice to meet you. Watch out for this guy, you know, that kind of stuff. And you have your your formalities and your casual friends and stuff. But then after a while, it's like nobody goes to the club every week because it just gets to be too much. But when you work, you go to the club every week. So you start noticing things that normal club goers don't notice because you're there all the time. Like, who does go to the club every week? And not only who who comes to the club every week, but when do they take a break if they don't, if they stop coming? Or who do they come with? Or who do they leave with? And so I started really noticing, like, who was coming in by themselves and who was leaving with a chick. Or who was leaving with a dude. And then I wouldn't see them in the next week. Or two or three weeks later. Until they broke up. And then I start seeing them at the club again. Um, I started really noticing people's hookup patterns. And if they were dating and stuff. Or they weren't dating. But it wasn't random to the way that I was, exp- I was noticing it. I started noticing... Because of another layer. I started DJing. So when you DJ at the club, you notice things that people who work at the club don't notice. People who work at the club notice things that people who go to the club don't notice. So you're two levels in. Here's what I notice when I start DJing. There is a reason a DJ will play a song that nobody wants to dance to. You know why? It makes everybody rush the bar. So you start to develop a rhythm. Welcome everybody to the club. You play a couple of songs. You play some old school joints that everybody knows and they they win it, but that's not the new that's not the new new that they waiting for you to play. And then in the middle of a song, right when they least expect it, you just go. And they all go, oh, that's that little Joe's. That's that bit. Was it Fat Joe? That's a Fat Joe song. And then they run out there and they start dancing. You know, you catch them off guard. And then you play another banger. And then you play another banger. And then you play something a little bit old school that used to maybe get some people moving. So you play three bangers in a row and then you start playing Bust a Move. Well, that's a very acquired taste. So what happens is the people who like to dance and do dance-offs and stuff, they might dance to that. But everybody ain't going to dance to that. So you you can thun, thin out the crowd. They've been dancing for three songs straight. They thirsty. Now it's time for the bar to make some money. Why am I telling you all this? When you work as a DJ, you start to realize patterns. The entire job of a DJ is to recognize patterns in songs and to match those patterns up and to blend those songs together so that it sounds like one long song. I can take five songs, blend them together into a mix where it sounds like one long song Manipulate the speed, manipulate the frequencies, blend them together real good. Next thing you know, you're exhausted because you didn't even notice that I started a new song. You ju- I just blended into another song you like, which blended into another song. And, and the real artistry of a DJ is a subtle but very powerful psychological manipulation to keep people dancing so that when I do play... um. Everybody dance now by CNC Music Factory. 
people are like, hey, that's my jam. But they're not going to get up and dance. They're going to go to the, they're going to run to the bar right quick and get a drink, get a couple more drinks, fix their shoes, go to the bathroom, stuff like that. It's kind of like the good part of the movie. And you have to have a, a lull so people can go to the bathroom, so people can go get their drink. Oh, they left something out in their car. You got to give them time to do that. You know, so you, and then you got these people who come to the club and they want you to play like Don't Stop Believing by Journey and stuff for just weird reasons. So you gotta, you gotta do that stuff. So, you know, they're at the bar, you can play Bust a Move and some old song and Don't Stop Believing by Journey. And then all the like white college girls are like, that's my song. And then they act like that's like the new, new and, you know, they're doing whatever and people are still at the bar. And then when I start noticing they getting the last little bit of drinks, that's when I play the cha-cha slide. And then everybody's like, hey! And they get out there and they start doing the cha-cha slide. And then halfway through the cha-cha slide, it's like, ba-ba-ba-ba. You play that new new and they're like, oh! You just do the cycle all over again. That was a great job. So you know what else I noticed, I noticed in, the, in the patterns, in the cycles? This was at a time where people still slow danced. And there was a lot of slow R&B, you know, couple-making music. Um, It seemed like pretty much that's just exclusively Bruno Mars's lane now. But at the time, like, there was a, a whole lineup of good songs to and old songs that could that were guaranteed to get couples out there on the dance floor because people didn't just come to dance and hang out with their friend. They also came to meet somebody. They came to hook up. So I give them an opportunity to hook up. And then they dancing slow, and then this was, this was just the kind of DJ I was. While they already out there with their girl, I'll start playing, start playing the booty music, and then it's just like freak that, freak that, and then they all doing a nasty dance. That's that's what that was my job. That was that was the assignment. So I would watch people hook up. And then I would watch people not hook up. But it wasn't because of something that I was doing. Another thing I started to notice as a DJ is that there are cycles for releases. Generally about every six weeks you get a new crop of songs. Now I was subscribed to a DJ service that was a national DJ music pool. It was called Top Hits Monthly. And Top Hits Monthly sent you brand new songs that were expected to be the new hits of the season. I would get the songs, I would listen to them, I would see what they compared with, work them in the mixes. Sometimes I would test them out and they would just flop. Sometimes I would test them out and they would be a hit. But also, I recognized that the radio station got the same songs from the same pool. So not only was I competitive in keeping up with the radio station, I was willing to test songs that this that the radio station opted out of. So because we had competing dance floors, we had the radio station in one room. There was the big, big room with the big dance floor. And then you had the classic room with the classic dance floor. And that's where I was at. It was a smaller, was closer to the bar. A lot of times, I would steal the crowd completely because I had the brand new music, I had the songs they hadn't heard before, which were very similar to the brand new music, which sometimes worked, but often it was it was a gamble. I had remixes of songs that were already hot that the radio station didn't play because they don't really play remixes. And... I had the booty music, Detroit house type dance, freak Nick dance music that the radio station wouldn't play. And then, you know, from time to time, I would play like some gangster joint that everybody just wanted to throw their hands up and be like, yeah, yeah, because I was starting to, you know, really come up on the rise. So I had a lot of tricks up my sleeve and I would just like completely exhaust the crowd. <laughs> um... And so I didn't, I didn't often take requests. Like I had a cycle of what I was doing, but I mean, these people would be exhausted and then they would rush the bar and then the radio station would be like, 
where's all of our people at? Throw your hands up. And everybody would be at the bar because they're tired because I wore them out. And then they're like, so anyways, so this music will come out on cycles. Well, in that, in that release cycle, not always on top hits monthly. I mean, there were R and B versions of that and stuff. And, but yeah, actually for the top hits monthly. And then I would have my finger on the pulse of other channels. The songs were similar in theme, and they would come out at the same time by different artists, wildly different artists, but they would be in the same genre sometimes. Sometimes you would have what seemed to me like a theme across the board. Pop music, R&B, and hip-hop was all on the same theme. You cheated on me, and I can't stand you. I don't need you no more. I'm going to go get somebody new. And then, like, six weeks later, it was like, what's up, boo? You know I love you. It's me and you until we die. We got this thing going. It's so good. And then six weeks later, I can't stand you. You cheated on me. You ain't no good. I don't need you. I'm going to go get somebody else. Over and over again, I would just watch this cycle repeat. And I was like, that is so weird. And also, what was weird was, like, if I played those adjacent songs out of the cycle, out of the season, they didn't land. So basically, when when girls were coming to the club because they were mad that their boyfriend cheated on them or because they broke up over some dumb reason, because it seemed like they just found reasons to break up intentionally. Whenever that happened and I played the, oh, you my boo, we got this thing going on kind of music, they wasn't trying to hear that. They wanted to hear the, all the single ladies, all the single ladies and, and, you know, stuff on that vibe. That's all they were interested in at the time. And then six weeks later, when, you know, they would they would play the the hookup music and they would start making that that hookup release that people wanted to go that way. So it was just a very weird thing that I started noticing about people is that they seem to be like 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 the Pied Piper. They seem to be just dancing to the tune of what the what the radio stations dictated. Now, I don't know where the, I don't know where Top Hits Monthly came from, really. And how you got your music on that. And as uh, as an indie artist, as an aspiring artist, I was in a band and stuff. I'd be like, oh, it'd be really cool if I could get my music on there. And then people would hear. But it's like, now looking back, I recognize, no, nah, bro. There was like an orchestra. There was something orchestrating this the whole time. This music came out intentionally for a reason. I eventually came to the conclusion that the nightclub exists to keep people lonely. And to keep people in this dating market, because it's very profitable, you got to pay to get in, you got a coat check, you got to buy drinks, all that, every week, tipping your waitress, you buying burgers, you, all that. And if you single, you doing all that. If you, if you boot up, these people was boot up, they wasn't coming to the club for three, four weeks at a time. Then that new, that new, new would come out and... Oh my God, I can't believe him. He can't, he ain't no good. He don't never take me out no more. Y'all been together three weeks. He'll never take me out no more. It's just the songs. That's That was the whole theme and they was all eating it up. So I started really looking at that. And then something weird happened. Because remember I told you Jay-Z was being overt. Jay-Z was being overt with his satanic stuff. And he had... Let some young buck in the in the room. It was a young white rapper named Asher Roth. And Asher Roth was very popular with the frat house college kids. And he had an album coming out. And he would... This was during the pirated music scene when the music industry was really trying to get his sea legs about it. And um, he would make these releases... And it would be like June 13th, whatever the date was. And they would just, they would release a, a free version that was tagged with him just yelling when, this, when the album was coming out. Because they wanted everybody to go pick up the album. So everybody was listening and playing Asher Roth. Because they were trying to recreate the success of Eminem. And to this day, I really don't remember much about Asher Roth. Except for his name. Sounded very similar to Asheroth, the pagan god, and it never that immediately struck uh, struck me, and it never left me. It's like this dude is named after a pagan god, Asheroth. What is why is 
Why is that? Like, who would name their kid Asher Roth? Clearly, that's a made-up name. It's Asheroth. Let me look up Asheroth real quick. Let's see what. Let's see what this is. Who is Asheroth? American rapper. He is best known for his debut single, I Love College. Okay. Now let's see. A-S-T. Okay. Astaroth. In demonology, was known to be the great duke in hell and the first hierarchy with Beelzebub and Lucifer. He was part of the evil trinity. He is known to be male figure, likely named after the near eastern goddess with a similar name. So, at the time when Jay-Z was trying to be Satan, basically... He, he was promoting this new white rapper with the name Asheroth that was a high-ranking demon in hell. Now, am I just, like, making a big deal about something because the names sound different? Boy, I sure hope not. But that is a coincidence that never left me. And ever since then, I started to realize something. Because <laughs> I was also looking, not so much in demonology, but I was really, like, into, like, the Book of Enoch and looking at um, a lot of the theories of like the spirits behind things. So there's this concept that there are spirits in control of certain aspects of reality, like sunlight, moonlight, nature, forest, the wind, um, basically like elementals and stuff. Um, but not, not in the pagan way that we're used to in storybooks. Like there are some legendary type stuff there and I don't know exactly where it comes from because I don't really study spirits and demonology but like as I was finding out about that that was when I got hit smack with the Asheroth thing and I was like bro that's just like that's just like Beyonce because I think we were also looking at like how it seemed like Beyonce had been possessed by a demon and turned into a different person. We were also looking at Eminem. Or at least I was looking at Eminem. And Eminem was Marshall Mathers. But Eminem was also Slim Shady. And whenever you hear. This is going to get weird. Whenever you hear an Eminem song. He has. Eminem has, can go one of two ways. He can be Marshall Mathers. Who's the nerd that, that overcame the odds and he wants you to look to him as an example of somebody who made it so that you can be inspired to try harder and do better in life. Or, and this is on the other side more frequently, he will become Slim Shady and lean more that way where he's a, a, a jerk with a chip on his shoulder who screams and farts and, and says rude things and is obnoxious but has a way with words that you never heard before to the degree that it can become violent, borderline demonic. And um, I started noticing that pattern as well. And when I noticed it in Slim Shady, when I noticed it in Beyonce, and then when this guy Asher Roth came out, that set something off in my head and I really started looking at the world in terms of angels and demons in in combat or spiritual warfare if you will over people and influence and I guess I just kind of walked away from that for a while and so now we're back here the music in my opinion has a season to it like I said those releases would come out every six weeks or whatever I walked away from this study because when you listen to other people that talk about this stuff, they're like, oh, and then look, and he's got the triangle on the eye, and there's all this weird numerology and stuff. 
And they never have any answers for anything. They're just constantly, like, drawing on pictures. This is a triangle, and then if you look at here, it is another star. And in this language, it means demon, and you know what I mean? Everything's coded, and you have to go to their show next week to, to find out what the codes mean. And um, it's very much like the end we know guy, you know. And they seem to be good people, but they have all this, like, secret knowledge that they don't disclose how they get, how they know what they know, but you have to come back to them all the time. And, you know, here's the secret meanings and the butterflies and the Della effect and all of this weird stuff. And it just gets to be too much. Because it doesn't make sense. Like, it's not going anywhere. It's just like, and here's another person that's deceiving you and you've been tricked again and blah, blah, blah. Britney Spears and butterflies and mind control and all this. All that. All that. It's weird, man. So I stopped chasing them dragons. And I was like, well, life is what it is. And and now here we are. So I said, you're going to have to make some presuppositions with me or at least tolerate some presuppositions. I don't know how long this is getting. This is probably close to an hour, about 46 minutes. So we're going to wrap this up because I have a lot to say on this. And I want you to know where it's going. Here's some presuppositions. We're going to go on the presupposition that there are spiritual forces that are orchestrating a message to work on the masses through artists, like puppets. I think that's a pretty easy presupposition to, to make and accept. We also have to go on the presupposition that there are seasons to this thing and that We'll call them the Watchers or the Lords or whatever. The Little G Gods. They are a pantheon. They are, there's a lot of them. And not one of them can stay in control for very long. So they have seasons. They, they, they rule over different times of the year. Over different eras. And I think that they attach themselves to specific artists who... You know, you get, like, Nick, Nicki Minaj is the new-new, and then she does, like, the weird ritual, and then she becomes attached to a demon, and then everything that she touches is gold for two, three years, or whatever. Is it, and however long that demon season is going to last. And then the next artist, and there's, like, there's always this competition, you know? It seems like they'll have two or three artists come out at the same time, and they're all equally, like, they're very similar... But only one of them can get the demon. And then they get, they get the demon and then that like enhances them somehow. And then they reign for a season. I've seen this cycle in the music industry over and over and over again. And it honestly, I believe that this is what's happening. Is that maybe not for everybody, but for a large number of these high level Hollywood people. They get it. They get the it. And then... It is on them for a season. There was a time where I watched Nicki Minaj get a reward, or a reward, win an award and an award show, and her acceptance speech was, wow, I won. As if she was in disbelief. It was almost like somebody told her, you're going to win because I say so. And then she won, and it was like the realization, like, wow, there's some real power there. You told me I was going to win, and there it is. And then she expressed her gratitude and everything, but it's like, bro, these artists, they go through certain channels. And when I say channels, I mean, like, they go through certain mentors, schools, like, you know, Juilliard, stuff like that. Um, they go through certain labels, and whatever it is that they get through in secret, these backdoor parties or backroom deals or rituals, or they out in the woods dancing naked, I don't know what they're doing, but then they get that, they get the it, and then they reign for a season. I'm, I'm, I know this is weird stuff, and I'm going to talk about it more. And I'm going to break down some stuff way more specific. But I have to lay this, this, the landscape out so you know where I'm going with this. Um, and this is not like QAnon stuff. Trust me, bro. This is, I'm not going there artists they get it for a season um i i think that there is uh maybe prices or requirements for this thing 
and that artists can't keep up with the rising price. They can't make do. They can't pay the bill. I think that there are some sacrifices that have to be made. Either they choose the sacrifice or that sacrifice is chosen for them. And I've heard Kanye talk about his mother that way. He said he it sounds like he believes that his mother was chosen as a sacrifice before she died. Same thing with Billie Eilish. She lost a friend that a lot of people were saying that it was a sacrifice. I don't know if that's true. But the fact that that's something that keeps being talked about. Um, Nicki Minaj was the other one. I think it was like Whitney Houston died and then Nicki blew up. And they, so I heard somebody try to make a connection with that. So I'm not here to point at specific rumors. I'm just pointing at the concept as a possible reality. That's the presupposition we need to make. Um, another presupposition that we're going to have to make. And this is a whole different rabbit hole that I'm not really going to go down. But we'll, we'll probably touch on it a little bit. That if these little G gods, if these false gods are operating the way they are, the reason that they only last for a season is because gods need worshipers in order to remain prominent. And so, it also begs the question, are the, are the fans worshipers? And also, is it possible for the little g gods to receive power through proxy worship and what i mean by proxy worship is you are not going to get 10,000 people to worship a demon but you will get 10,000 people to be a fan of an influencer or a celebrity and when the fans pour their ad admiration i or their worship on the influencer or the artist then that artist turns around and worships the demon directly do you have by proxy 10,000 people worshiping the demon through that one person it's like an MLM you know what I'm saying it's like a multi-level marketing company where it's like you got you got a, you're a celebrity you got all these people underneath you right and let's say you you are a record a record label owner high level and you have all these you have four or five high level executives and you and your high level executives worship this demon that gives you power and favor in exchange for more worship so you know and your executives know that you are not going to get a bunch of people to overtly worship a demon that's scary so what y'all do is you go get a couple other people and you promise them power and money and accolades in exchange for weird demonic rituals. And you say, no, it's just a ritual. You just do the ritual and we're fine. So they do the ritual and then you and your executives go worship the demon after the ritual's done. And that adds power to your worship, which strengthens the demon. And then those people, they go get artists under them and they say, Okay, you are going to have a following, and you have a following, and each of these got three or four artists, and each of those artists have 10,000 followers. And so, each of your executive now has six or seven people that has, he's done favors for that do the rituals, and each of those people that do the favors have three or four artists with 10,000 followers each. And so, through one executive, you're pulling 60, 70,000 followers of admiration and ritual and they're ad they're participating in this ritual worship which gets channeled to you through the ritual worship by proxy which feeds the demon and you get this six or seven times because each executive is doing that you have all these fans and they're worshiping this demon not directly but ritualistically through proxy i have never had anyone introduce this concept to me i'm just coming up with this on my own i'm just this is just me asking questions and laying out a, a concept for my you know that i'm that i'm concerned about myself because i'm trying to to exercise a scenario that would explain to me if 
glamour magic is on music, how would that work? How, what would that vehicle look like? And this is the possibility that I came up with. There are a lot of details that I'm going to get into later on. And I cannot, like I said, I can't just jump into things without laying all of this out. So, if there's magic attached to music, I think that the magic is intended to lure the followers so that the followers channel their admiration into ritual worship which channels the into the worship of the people who actually worship the demons that make the demon stronger, which gives the demon more power to enchant the music. And as that cycle continues, that's just one demon. How many demons are doing this? So that's where I'm at right now. Um, I want to hear your thoughts because we're getting into an hour and I usually don't do hour long uh, podcasts, but this was a lot for me to explain. I had a lot of background to lay out for you. Um, the next time we we meet, which will probably be tomorrow, maybe, maybe, um, I'm going to start going through some of these ideas um, bit by bit because there's a lot of different working elements and pieces to this theory that I have. And um, yeah, I'm excited to hear what you, what you guys have to say and how you respond to it. Um, and how you will respond and how you would let me know is not through back channels and Facebook and stuff. The way I want you to do that is to go to Telegram. Telegram, uh, the our Telegram group is called Zero Talks. Um, we will we will uh, create a group. This is, but it's a value for value system, and what that means is you listen to an hour of me theorizing in real time and bringing you the, the landscape for for a whole new series of ideas. And I believe me. The Human Genome Project and the synthetic organism type stuff, I have not forgotten about that as backlogged because it requires a lot of research. I'm digging back 15 years to get in, in, to get some stuff, so I'm not going to just be willy-nilly. And this is something that I've been theorizing on for a while, pulling from old experiences stuff. So this is a whole new, fresh concept, brand new original material that I'm bringing you. And um, this is gonna go, this is gonna go for hours. Today was about an hour. How long would you have spent if you were watching a Netflix film or gone to a movie or sitting in a cafe? You know, did you spend thirty bucks if you went to a restaurant out to eat? I would say value for value. You put you put a value. You put a price tag on this experience, this thought process, this thought experience experiment that I'm bringing you, and send it back to us in the form of a donation. You can send a donation through Stripe. You can send a donation through Fountain FM as you stream sats. You can send boostergrams with messages attached to them. Or if you just want to send something like Cash App or something, then send us a message. Send me a message um, through those back channels. Or uh, you can um, do something for the show, like let let your friends know about it. Send this episode to somebody you think this is interested in this type of stuff and see what they think about it. Um, and then uh, there are people that build things. They offer their time and their talent to help enhance the show itself. Maybe maybe you make background music that you'd like that you think would be a good backdrop for some of the stuff I'm talking about, or um, you know somebody's like, "I you need a theme song. I'm going to write you a theme song," or anything like that. That is time, talent, and treasure that is up to you to decide. You want to give back to the show for the value that we bring to the table. That's value for value. Now, if you're listening on a legacy app like iTunes or Spotify or something like that, keep in mind, because of the digital stuff that's coming down, the digital restriction acts and things that the government is trying to put into play, especially with this election coming up, you might not, you might suddenly get cut off from this podcast because I don't, I don't have an approved narrative. I would suggest going to newpodcastapps.com, get yourself a podcast 2.0 enabled app where you can stream sets and send boostergrams and messages and just have it have the subscription backlog so in the event that you get cut off or I get cut off from YouTube or whatever because I don't do YouTube anymore because of that crap get a get something like Podcast Addict or Fountain FM or CurioCaster um Go to newpodcastapps.com, find something, find a flavor that you like, subscribe to this show, and you'll find a bunch of other shows as the podcast landscape starts to change. 
because people are walking away from Spotify. People are walking away from YouTube. People are walking away from iTunes and their weird ideology. And we don't want to be controlled by big tech and the rules that they're putting in place in order to control us, especially with the 24 election coming up. So that's what I'm going to say. Um, I hope you guys have a great week. I hope you had a good Juneteenth or whatever. And um, I will be back tomorrow with some more stuff. And hopefully I'll be able to talk to uh, Webmaster Josh and maybe we'll get the donation page up or something like that. Okay, bye.